0: Good morning. Welcome to Standing Firm. Saturday morning, chill. Don't wallow in the muck with the rest of the world. It is, what, the 20th of February, and yeah, I'm a little bit late. Going to talk about that more in just a moment, actually, and get real serious about it with you. But first, couple of immediate announcements. Super Chat is on. That is right. Your comments can now be shoved into my face, even when I'm completely tangenting about whatever else, and I will drop them onto the screen for you. Dance, monkey, dance. Yes, I will dance for your pennies. Uh, But what I will do then is always try to get back to that comment. Super chat is one way to make sure that you don't get lost in the sidebar. I do try to get in there. I do. You know it. But uh, sometimes it's a little bit, uh, what? You guys are talking about dancing monkeys while I'm opining on the important things. That's good. We, We want that. We want that community here. Oh, so that, that's going on without flesh dropped. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit with one of your comments as well, but my new book is out, you can see it. Oh, where are you? It's back here behind me on the shelf. Um, And a couple of comments right away from people. Look how short that is. Look how short that is. I thought I was like uh, losing my touch, but a friend of mine said, well, it's accessible now. <laughs> So, all right, cool. But uh, I've got some feedback to share from some of you about that in a few moments as well. Uh, the newsletter, it continues to drop. The Shadow Broker and the Dark Agents continue to do a fantastic job behind the scenes. So if you have not signed up, that's in the links below. Make sure you do that. And of course, everything in theory can be found at RevFist.com. It may not be easy to find, but it is. it is there. All right, so I, I have a couple of things I want to talk about right away this morning and i'm i'm not entirely confident about either of them because the one of them can be taken the wrong way it will be taken the wrong way and then the other one is um let me write it down so i do not forget it actually the other one is just a little bit of uh, pastor fisk being vulnerable just just a touch just a touch vulnerable sharing with you some of the inner fears dreams of my heart. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hiding my fear uh, in humor, but I'm not kidding. So uh, I want to talk about that. I'm going to do that second, though. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is scale. And, and this will have something to do with the time. But that's a different story, too. That's a fun story. But it's not completely disconnected from the idea about, about the timing. So for a while now, we've been doing Saturday morning chill pretty early. And we've been doing well, you know. The numbers have been been uh, creeping, creeping about an extra three to five viewers a week, and that's a great that's a great trajectory on the the standard bell curve that you want to see happen for the growth of anything that's going to be sustainable and entertaining. Uh, so so that's a good thing there. Um, then last week I was away, right, and and so I the timing was just a little bit different there because I was away. But I also have been kind of rethinking the experiment of the 4.30 a.m. club that I was in there for about, oh, golly, five or six months probably. And if so if you don't know this, I had shifted my schedule from being a complete night person, I'm talking 1 a.m., right? Complete night person with the earliest wake-up time of 9 a.m. Did that most of my life until KFUO radio. Uh, I would hated getting up early for KFUO radio. Went right back to the late sleep-in for a little bit after I was done at KFUO, but then got into this idea, Jocko Willink, of 4.30 a.m., you know, uh, get busy. And it was good. It was a really good experiment. I'm really glad I did it. The biggest problem, the only problem, in fact, I I would still be doing it. There is nothing, let me tell you. There is nothing. Like when you give yourself permission at 4.30 in the morning because it's so early and no one else is awake. So you give yourself permission to spend an hour and a half doing whatever you want. That's pretty cool. And what I was doing uh, was extended meditation, mindfulness practice. My mindfulness practice had gotten, I was doing an hour sometimes, uh, surrounded by Bible study course, right? Listening to the Psalms, all this kind of stuff, working out. Oh, it was a great way to start the day. But there was a negative side effect that happened from this. And that was that my wife's schedule and mine got completely ruined. And how do I say this? I'm, I was a night person, 1 a.m., right? 1 a.m., I fall asleep, wake up by 9. All right? Eight hours, you know, give or take. And I had apnea most of my life while I was doing that. Uh, so, her schedule was never that. <laughs> her schedule was always get up fairly early, but not too early, not 4:30 a.m. early, more like 6:30 early, uh, and and have a day, and then go to sleep when you're tired, which would never be 1 a.m. It would be more like you know 10. Um, so, well, she had tried for a moment to do the 4:30, uh, and then she <laughs> she went back to her 6:37. So I just I started thinking about it. I was like, you know. I know we've been married successfully for for a good long while, and I'm not really too worried about that. But I can see how for the first 15, 16, 17 years of this marriage, how many has it been now? Goodness gracious, 18 years. Um, For the first 18 years of this marriage, now I'm worried if I got that wrong. For the first 18 years of this marriage, I was kind of thinking, well, my timeline, my my internal clock works. And so everyone will just kind of join me. And that hasn't happened. Uh, My my wife's clock is the one that most of the world is on, although some of my my older high school kids, high school-ish age kids are leaning toward my old clock. Uh, But, 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 I decided, what if, what if, for not for once in my life, but what if really intentionally in a big way, I said, hey honey, I wanna wake up when you wake up. Wake me up every day. Now, there's some real selfishness in this. Guess what I got rid of? I got rid of an alarm clock. (laughs) Yes, I just have a wife. Um, and and I'm going to do everything I can to have my biological clock match hers so that I wake up when she wakes up, I go to bed when she goes to bed, generally speaking. What this means is that Saturday morning chill cannot happen at super early hours. It simply cannot be because we're going to be getting up about 7 o'clock every day. And what is it, 8.30 right now? I think 8.30 is a fair, a fair space to allow me to be ready for you. But here's my fear in all of this. Here's my fear. My fear in this is that some of you, super fans, I know you're out there, doo, 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 doo. some of you, <laughs> meme that one, uh, some of you really need me earlier at that time, and I'm going to lose you because you're going to have to go do something else on your Saturday morning, and you won't be able to get it back in later, maybe by listening, No, that's not as cool. So there's some of you out there that are awesome, whom this is not going to be your favorite thing, and I'm sorry about that, right? Um... The, you wanna you want to hear the theological pinings of a biohacker? Uh, well then you got to let him hack right and so sometimes that's the way it's gonna be now you can learn about my patterns from this look it was about a six month somewhere between four and seven I'm not sure a four and seven month life experiment right to do the 4:30 a.m thing and Saturday morning Jill was born out of this kind kind of accidentally yeah which is awesome uh, but but um while I'm doing that, I'm like looking at how is this impacting my life, and I'm really taking taking it in, trying to decide what's this good, was this bad? How can I learn from it? How can I move it to something better? Um, and so, you know, that's that's why the revolutions, that's why the changes in the show, that's why yeah, et cetera, because it allows things to just grow. There, there was a time when I didn't want anything behind me on the wall <laughs> at all. I wanted it to be like a picture, right? And one of you, God bless you, even sent me a green screen that's sitting up there that never got hung up. But then this just started to happen in my life, actually in the space, and then it was like, oh, that's okay, right? So, so the change, the change, and the accident is some of the beauty in the entire thing. Um, Anyhow, for what it's worth, expect me Saturday mornings at eight thirty or so. I'm sorry if this upsets you in some way. I did. It's not personal. So this gets to not personal, which is where I was going when I started here. I'm gonna drink some coffee. Hello, Fallout. I have not seen you in a while. I have pined for you, though. All right. (laughs) Mm. Oh, sorry. I'm doing too. Patience. I'll forget about it for like an hour, so thank you. Scale. If you read enough about anything in business that involves the Internet today, I don't think this just applies to the Internet, but anything that is business and especially if it applies to the internet today, the question that's being asked about new production, right? You're gonna start a business. You're gonna do something. You wanna make a living. It's not about making money. It's about following your dreams, right? It's it's, it's about doing something with your hands you love to do. And to do that, you gotta sell it. It's the only way. Capitalism, I'm sorry, it is kind of the only way that it works. If you're gonna make a living, you will do so by capitalizing on what you do with your hands by making someone else want it <laughs> and then wanting to trade for it right we all benefit from this can it be abused yes evil men do all sorts of evil things but to pursue life like this right loving what you do one of the ways to do this you're at one of the best times in the world's history to do this is with the internet But as you do that, let's say you really love making something with your hands specifically. I'm doing it. I'm crafting it with my hands. Okay, When you start to do that and you put it online to sell, let's say it sells. Let's say it gets really popular and it took you four weeks to make this one item. And just now someone bought it already and you have a waiting list of four other items things for this same item, all wanting the same price, mind you, which you realized, whoa, did you underprice that thing given the time it took? And you can't make a living. I mean, you spent four weeks on it, you got 25 bucks. I'm sorry, it ain't going to pay the rent. So how is this going to scale? That's the question. Right? That's the question. How do you scale it? Now, I, I think that idea of scaling production is important for a pastor to ask when he is looking at everything that he's doing. So that's one of the reasons I look at that. How do I have people join my congregation and still have access to me? And yeah, when you have 35 people, it's almost too easy. It's painfully easy. But as you pass that 120 mark of, of regular attendance, it gets tougher. And if it ever goes up above the 300 mark, it's impossible and that's part of why I'm asking the question, because of if, if our Lord is good to us in this way, because suffering is good in other ways too, this will be its own kind of cross, if our Lord blesses others by bringing them to faith so that they are receiving the word and sacraments with us at the altar at St. Paul, to such an extent that we pass those numbers, I want to know how to be a good pastor, <laughs> right? which means scaling contact with me in some way. Right. Um, And if, you know, whatever, that's my own personal problem. Why does that matter? That's why I'm thinking about this. Okay, so I'm thinking about this, but I'm also thinking about this then with regard to you and this. Because this is a rebuild. Right. I mean, you you know that the history doesn't matter, but there was a time when there was more and it was bigger and now it's not anymore. And when there was more and it was bigger, there was a paid helper. Okay. Which enabled us to scale in ways that right now I can't. Now, is that good? Is that bad? It is what it is. But as I've been rebuilding, I've been able to do some things I couldn't do before. Kind of had to a little bit. So, for example, for example, I mean, I had to let this go finally just this last week, and it hurt. But I was spending time every two or three days in the comments in YouTube. I was going in i was reading every single comment i was replying to as many as i could that had like a reason to talk like have a conversation um i was (laughs) i was going through the spam filter and pulling out people who had been turned into spam which is kind of amazing the spam filter is not very good by the way so if your if your comment never shows up on a video of mine please don't blame me and i mean the spam filter locks out all sorts of stuff but if you do leave a lot of comments you're going to end up spam right if you just leave like five in a row somewhere It's going to end up in the spam filter, just just the way the YouTube internals work. Anyhow, I was doing this because I care. (laughs) I care what you think. I care about your knowledge. I care about your growth in the faith. And so I was going through and I was trying to heart it. I was trying to like it. And I was distinguishing between likes and hearts, like which one is is more truthful to to how I'm feeling about your comment is really engaging. And I can't do it anymore. Why? Because there's too many. And there's too many other things that need to happen connected to this. And that's so good. That is so good. But what about you if you were down there in the comments and you're now wondering where I am, right? Why is he Why is he not responding to my comments like he used to? Now, that's just an example, okay? It's an example. It's starting to happen with the, the emails coming in through the contact page, which is good. I'm still, I'm committed to looking at every single one of them. What I do after I look at it will have a lot to do with what's in the letter. <laughs> and if you're writing a letter of which you never hear me respond at all, it either means that was really cool, thank you. Uh, or, it, or it means there's a lot of people saying what you're saying, and I can't possibly do all of them. Uh, and uh, th- that would be the non-response, right? Um, the, the major non-response. But the, the fact is, I mean, I'm at this point where if I go 24 hours without opening my email and I left it at inbox zero, which I live in inbox zero, I have, I have around 58 emails in a 24-hour period. I cannot respond to all of them. And yes, I'm going to be honest here. About 10 so – this is a little unfair – about 10 of those will be connected to house hunting in the area. Okay. So 48, but it's still swiping and it's part of my life and what I got to handle. You know what it's like in your inbox. Okay. So, um, ugh. so my concern is this, right? Super fans, I'm talking to you who, who might super chat. Nobody has, ah! um, super fans. I'm talking to you. What do you need for me to, to be my super fan? How do I not lose you? By when, I, when I realize that there's just more of you, right, more of you, uh, w- what can I do? Because human time, and this is what's really hard to see, um, but you feel it. You feel it if you live on the Internet at all. You're like, I'm busy all the time. Well, no, you're on the Internet a lot, okay? Okay, so when you're on the Internet a lot and you are receiving from the Internet, that takes a great deal more time than most people realize your time is just getting sucked away if you were to turn off the phone for a day <laughs> good luck if you're going to turn off the phone for a day um, you would be stunned with how much time you had in that day um, so so that's one thing now I have that I'm with you in that world and then I don't just have to go to the internet to get but there is this constant requirement of give to the internet Okay. Like everybody who gives to me wants me to give back. And when that's ten or fifteen, it can be done. When it's fifty or seventy, it can kind of be done. As you move into the hundreds, we're not quite there yet where I've got hundreds of you talking to me every day. But like you just can't do it, right? So I'm sharing this now just as I wrestle with it. I have no idea how big this will get or not get. And I've told you before, it's not about me. So it's not about me. It's about whether or not this is serving you as a people, as Christians walking in the world out there. And if there's a lot of you that want this, that's good, I think, because it gives us a a place to have conversation across the world through time during the week, right? Uh, And it's not just about whether you're watching on Saturday. It's about where and when you're learning in this, what, mad Christian version of Lutheranism? that wants to think about everything with our theology, right? If that gets bigger, is that bad? I don't think so. I think that's really good. But it means that, it means two things. It means you got to think less about it being about me. I like watching Fisk. Okay, that's great. But that might be all you ever get to do with Fisk, right? And it becomes more about then, how do you scale the human connection of mad Christianity within the tribe I, I, I hate that language, by the way, but, you know, with, within the, the fan club, that's even worse than tribe. Um, uh, you know, within the, <laughs> the voodoo lounge of mad Christianity, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Within the community, as we talk to each other, you're going to have to scale human connection there. Because we got two things that happen with this. And I'm, I, why am I talking about this? Because it used to be bigger than it is. It used to be smaller than it is. And now we are where we are now. And so I'm going to have this conversation and let you know where it's going and what I'm thinking, right? And <laughs> as I said that, I forgot about the last thing. But it is about – oh, it is. It was this. There are two possible directions that this show, the Mad Christian Show, Saturday Morning Chill, whatever, Mad Christianity can go. One is that it is, an, it is an entirely a Fisk brand. It's just Fisk. Mad Christianity is all things Fisk. Fine, whatever. I don't care. If it does what I was talking about before, bueno, right? If people are coming to understand Christ and the word in their life, muy bueno. Uh, fine. But then it's going to die with me too, right? The not, when I die, it dies. So the other option, the other world of this is, the other direction is, how does the you know brand Rev Fisk Mad Christianity become more than just one guy's thing? How does it become a tribe? How does it become a theory? Now I, I I don't care if it's a theory, right? The idea is that it would go beyond just Fisk. It's interesting, you know. You can compare this a little bit. What do I want to do? I want to build the next century's Lutheran Hour. That's what I want to do. Okay. Why not just let the Lutheran Hour do it? I would love the Lutheran Hour to try to do what I'm doing. They're not. God bless you guys. You can talk to me. I will give you answers. I know you don't want my kind of guy. I get that. I can still help you with the tech. You guys don't understand the landscape. You, you can pay for stuff, but you don't know what to do with it. I'm sorry. That's my view of the thing, okay, from where you sit. You could still, right now, do so much. It's not over yet. I know it's getting close. Anyway, that was just for them inside baseball. I don't even know these guys, right? I just I just have watched the organization from afar. And what we need is something that wants to do what they used to do. But here's the thing. They were built on a personality, right? Two of them, really, right? Two of them. Uh, Walter A. Meyer, Uno. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know his name, he was as big as Billy Graham at one point. Maybe bigger. At least in terms of impact, Billy Graham just did what Walter A. Meyer did first. Uh, and Lutheran Hour came out of it. So maybe that's part of it is that Walter A. Meyer didn't build Walter A. Meyer ministries and Billy Graham did kind of build Billy Graham ministries. So Walter E. Meyer attempted to have the organization go past him, but somehow it was still tied to it was still tied to the personality of a preacher. Now that's that's actually wise too, to some extent. Because you need someone who can talk well if you're gonna entertain. Duh, right? It's just a skill set. So so there is that. But that somehow, so maybe that wasn't even their problem. Maybe the problem, wow, well, the problem is politics and money as always. And, and, and mission creep, really, is the problem. Mission creep. What remains, though, is that what they are unable to do now is take risks. What they're unable to do now is be crazy and just say what has to be said, which when you're in a closet, <laughs> you have the freedom to do but what what I can't do in a closet that they could be doing, right, uh, is producing more than one personality's worth of shows. Yeah. So, 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 point being scale. Point being where does this go. Point being how do I make this into something that isn't just about me. I don't know that I can. But what I do know is that as I try to, I won't be able to be your best friend on the internet. I just won't be able to do it, and you're gonna have to be satisfied with the talking face and the largely one direction conversation, unless you super chat. <laughs> I'm not even trying. Uh, it's just a fact. Um, so, so for what that's worth, for what that's worth, scale and fandom. Oh, fandom. So this gets back to what I was saying before about tribe and all this kind of stuff too, right? I mean, we're not all LCMS in here, by the way, right? You know that. Uh, that that's a really Fascinating thing to me, and I want to keep it that way. I want to make it more that way. It shouldn't be that you have to be LCMS in order to like Mad Christianity, although it does mean you eventually want to be a Lutheran, just so you know you you do deep down in your hearts. (laughs) But you know tribalism, branding, whatever. um, I picked up a book uh, recommended by another podcast I listen to. It's called Fanocracy. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the guy. I'm, I'm just listening to it on Audible initially. It's him and his daughter, and it's, it's really fascinating. The, the idea is asking, you know, why are we uh, uh, resistant to the language of fan and fandom, right? So if if you're someone who's in med school and you're you know you're going, you finally get accepted to Johns Hopkins. And, like, you're so excited because you're going to work with this person and that person and this person. And no one in the world really knows them, except for in your world, everybody knows them, right? Um, you're their fan. See, how we we think that's demeaning for some reason. and But it's not demeaning to be a fan of the Cowboys. Well, maybe a fan of the Cowboys. <laughs> um, it's, it's not demeaning to be a, what, Packers fan? Of course that's not demeaning. Yeah, everyone knows that. Uh, so why is that? Why is sports fandom good? Why is the rest of life fandom bad? Now, I can get how you might say, well, it's kind of like idolatry. Yeah, like the sports. So it's not really a spiritual issue at all in terms of why we hold this line. This is a very American line. And and Phenocracy is asking the question, well, why is that? Why can't I just be glad to be a fan of this well-renowned doctor who I want to model my life after in order to be like this person? Why is that wrong? Right. I'm his fan. What else? Yeah, what was the older language that used to describe this uh, idol would have been one um, model archetype? I mean, we people didn't necessarily talk that way. Somebody who had set goals like you, maybe something like that. I don't know. But I'm 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 with like the culture right now. Like I don't like the idea of having fans. Like that just does not sit well with me. It makes my my LCMS piety go ow ew attention ah don't give it to me. I'm being pious, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's ingrained in the culture. Like that's in my blood right there. Right. Uh, so I don't I don't know how to get rid of that. Uh. But what I do want is what this book is talking about, which is that. If, and we should all want this—that you would live a life that other people would aspire to mo- to mimic. Don't? Isn't that good? Isn't that what fathers do, or supposed to do? It's like the definition of fatherhood. A son is a fan of the father, as is, a daughter is a fan of the mother. But they're fans cross team, right? They're fans of both, but they're super fans of the one that they're like. At least initially, they want to be, until it breaks. So, so this is weird for me to wrestle with uh, you know, and, and, and think it through. But why am I saying all of this this morning? Again, it's because I understand there's something good about all of this. We just don't have a good language for talking about it without our piety being offended. But there's something good about peer modeling. There's something good about leadership. There's something good about fathers of a community. Whether that's a town, whether that's a congregation – or whether that's an online, whatever we are, movement, tribe. Um, I, I, if you get a better word than those, I'll, I'll listen. Uh, so, but then in that, understanding that scale plays a huge part in all of that. And so for, for that good that is there to be, it's got to be more than you just want to be like me. You want to be like me in the way that I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> I want to be like Paul <laughs> because Paul wants to be like Jesus. Yeah. So you want to be like me in that way, which leads you to then care about those that are around you on your part of the scale, wherever you are in that system of connection that's being built by these words out there in Internet worlds. Okay? You with me? Um, you got to want that. And that's kind of who we are then, right? We don't want to be like Paul who wants to be like Jesus so that we can be like Jesus for us. We want to be like Paul who wants to be like Jesus because he knows Jesus is faithful. And that it is, in fact, that faithfulness of Jesus that has made Paul one with him at all to begin with. And so our desire and our hunger to be found faithful is strictly a desire to remain what we've already been told we are by justified promise. Yeah? It wasn't an hour, but it was close to 40 minutes, I think, before. <laughs> I, I can't see the time. No, where is it? No, it wasn't 40. You liar fisk. It was like 20. All right, so how's that? Um, I'm going to now... Blow my nose. And then we're going to shift to vulnerability. You ready for me to be vulnerable? I still <laughs> admire or not fan. Thank you, Tracy. I don't need fans. That hurt my feelings, though. It's funny how that is. It's so weird. Oh, I don't like the language. I really don't like the language. Um. All right. I'm just going to leave it all be. Okay, so here is what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes or so. And, and this is another. Watch me sit here and throw my arms up in confusion. There, I'm doing this on purpose. Look at the shot. Look at. I'm looking at the shot. Okay, that looks really bad, right? Like this. This is not the shot you would set up in order to do something with, right? This is. This is. Nightly News is not going to do this. The high crafted. Like, YouTube's not going to do this. It's also Canon manufactured already. I know you can see it, right? Um, and that's fine. It's fine. It's got to do that, right? Because it has to sell itself. That's why they don't do this. So, although I'm doing it to sell, deconstructing it. But here, here. I think part of what you're listening to right now I'm sorry. I got to figure it out so I can keep doing it. Uh, I think part of what you're listening to right now is the fact that it's just my Saturday morning. Right? And so like like in a real TV show, there would not be this moment. <clears throat> you'd be being sold something right now. This very moment. While I'm doing this, right? And going, oh, goodness. I got to think. Um, it, you'd be being sold something. And so – I'm not doing that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep talking anyway because I don't mind the talking part. Uh, but you're seeing, you're seeing all of me. You know, I, I'm not hiding right now. I can't. There's a camera and there's a mic and there's me. And I make it. I can try to hide. <laughs> um. And so now that is a symbol of what I'm about to do with the writing. So here, here's. I, I, this has been so frustrating this week to me. Oh my goodness, it's been so frustrating. I think I have wanted to start three new books this week. Can you, just, just pity me. Like this is not, like you could say, well, Fisk, you should stop having that kind of thinking. Well, I, I can't stop thinking, that's the problem. It's like, oh, that should be a book. And then I write it down, like there's another book idea. You know, When are you gonna do that one? I can't stop that, it just is what I do. So this happens like all the, not, not usually three a week, but it's usually like one or two a month kind of thing. And in the meantime, I'm actually trying to write, right? I'm trying to do stuff. We got the newsletter stuff going. I got transcription stuff that, that I think you guys want, the parenting series and all that. So all that's going on. And and I know that if I'm going to write something substantial that's beyond this, that I have to get a pattern because right? that's the only way any other book has ever been written by me the without flesh is because I had a pattern going and it was one year, one year hard in that every day for the same 40 minutes or so I was writing it. And so that's what I've got to find. Yeah, and I haven't been able to find that at all, and so nothing. It's just been chugging, 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 trying to find a way to get back to it. In the meantime, again, I've had several books that I'm really excited about that I think I think they're necessary. I think they're good. So then when yesterday, I guess it was Thursday, on the podcast, I hope you listened to this week's podcast with Wolf Mueller. That one was great. Man alive. Was that a good conversation? Um during that podcast and I said it at the time, you know, he gave me an idea for a book and then he kind of talked like maybe he was going to do it, which is fine. If he does, he'll write a different book. I'll take a different title. But I mean, I started writing it yesterday afternoon. I spent two hours like straight into this, this book. And it's not, it's not like anything I've ever written before. Um, uh, so I'm a little nervous about it, but then I'm nervous in two ways. So what I want to do is share a little bit of it with you. Um, but, but then I'm nervous about it again in, in two ways. I'm nervous about it being bad because I haven't looked at it since I did a first draft. It's always bad in the first draft. Always bad. It's gonna be. It's gotta be fixed. There's no way you write it in one draft. So that's one thing. And then, and then two. What happens if you're like, "This is great," and like in three weeks I haven't touched it again? Because <laughs> that might happen. That happens a lot. Uh, you know. But but I can share it for what it's worth now and all that. The only thing I'm not entirely prepared to do is transition my scene so that you can see it and for that reason I'm gonna have to take half a second here and flip this around now come on now there's a button for this Uh, default scene show scenes window there it is hello scenes window there we go alright so we're gonna cover that up over there like this there we go and I'm going to come back to my window like that. So, I'm just going to leave that on the screen there for a moment. Um, Here's the idea behind this book, though. So, this is not like Without Flesh, which I kind of want to talk about that now. Um, I'm going to just jump away for half a moment and say, Without Flesh dropped this week, and one of you, I've gotten a bit of feedback from y'all, but... This one, particularly, I thought was worth sharing. So just finished reading. Wow, like you just got it? Wow, that was good. Just finished reading Without Flesh, thank you. Once I started, I could not put the book down. I'm currently working to move our congregation to every Sunday Eucharist through catechesis. This congregation has also practiced what is functionally open communion for over forty years. Your book has been a great inspiration for me during this difficult time. The thought of closed communion is very emotional for some, and I fully understand that. And I'm moving very carefully and slowly. Without flesh will be a great resource as I work with the elders and the other leaders. Boom, shakalaka. They great. That is good. That is good. The other comment that I want to share coming out of this is from one of you, and I'm going to call you out by name, Ardith. If I had the time, I would have downloaded your video and dropped it into a thing I could drag and play right now so everyone could see it. But I'm not talented enough to juggle that many balls. Um, But Ardith left a comment about Chapter 7 and how Chapter 7 was just so good. She left this in a little... Dark Agents, those are those who are doing work for the for the show in some way, um, uh, Marco Polo feed. So, well, Chapter 7, um, I went and, and grabbed it to see, well, okay, which one was Chapter 7? It's just like over a year ago, a year and a half almost since I wrote this thing. So it's, it's um, way outside of my brain. But uh, Chapter 7... You can see it here. What did Paul receive? Chapter 7 is the longest chapter in the book. Chapter 7 is an exegetical treatment of 1 Corinthians. I talked about this somewhere else recently. Maybe it was here. Uh, A a treatment of 1 Corinthians very carefully, asking about the word body. The word body. And I'm really just amazed, Ardith, uh, that you would come out. I, I was so afraid of this chapter because it changes the way the book feels like i'm leading you to this chapter that's what i want is you to get this chapter it's the heart of the book in many many ways although the conclusion also is the heart of the book um but this is like without this you never get why the conclusion i mean it has to be from what happens in chapter seven and what paul says in first corinthians about the body of christ and uh so i'm just i'm just so tickled that you saw that so so thank you for, for that video that you did. I wish I could share it here with the world. Um, I want to say, I, I have also then been, uh, Concordia Publishing House is working on a, a catechesis series or discipleship series that your church can do that involves videos and study guides uh, for the book. That'll be coming out sometime this summer, I believe. I, we haven't recorded it yet. We're just developing it. And uh, Joe Willman, who works for CPH, he's doing a really good job of making it easy on me. Um, we're, we're, uh i I won't go into all the details of how we're doing it but what what's interesting is that you know i really didn't want to reread my own book in order to do these videos and so joe has been giving me um bullet points of the ideas which has been sufficient until this past week we were working on chapter three and i got i got stuck reading the chapter which is really a, a stunning thing to have happen, but you know, I mean, you go ahead and write yourself a note to yourself one year from now, and then pick it up a year from now, you'll find out like I didn't. This is a weird experience. Like I don't remember writing this note. Uh, you know that? Wow, I said that well. Like that kind of thing happens. You also see some of the errors, especially the things that bother you and other people's writing will will jump out even more. Um, but what I was just really uh, thankful for was for what it said, uh, and. It just encouraged me. I only read chapter three, but it just it just encouraged me. And so I want to read now, Ardeth, On your recommendation, I want to read chapter seven <laughs> uh, in order to uh, uh to well to see what it said because I don't remember. Yeah, I mean I know what it I know what it said, but I don't I don't know how it said it. So thank you for all of that feedback. I really really appreciate that, um, and I appreciate that the work that was done. Oh, come on now, computer. Uh, The work that was done um, is benefiting you. The words that were shared are are words that are benefiting you. So so then the second wisdom. If you haven't listened to the podcast with Wolf Mueller, this is going to be a little less uh, maybe like it's going to be out of left field a little bit. But let me pitch this idea to you. I mean I've been – here, let me go back into one of these positions that you don't do when you're on live TV. All right. Uh, my life took a twist. I think it was about four years ago now. Could be five. I don't think in years really well. Um, uh, forward, I do. Backward, I don't. and It has kind of become a blur to me. Always been that way. Um, but uh, four or five years ago, I discovered Tim Ferriss. And Tim Ferriss rocked my world. Uh, he, he turned my world upside down. What Tim Ferriss taught me, and I remember having a conversation about a year later with my brother-in-law. So it was only three years ago. My brother-in-law at Christmas. And he had just discovered not necessarily Tim Ferriss, but someone else like Tim Ferriss. And what we talked about was how we had both reached middle age. I was 39, 38. Uh, he, he, you know, a couple years younger, 36, 35. We'd both reached middle age, never realizing that you could learn to do anything you wanted to do. Like we would, we talked back and forth at Christmas over drinks, cookies, chaos in the house around us. Right about how we just never knew that you could learn how to do these things. Now, what did that mean for us individually? Well, it was anything uh, that you could, in any way you wanted to. Find someone else who knew how to do it and learn how to do it, and the Internet just explodes this ability. Explodes. It's really cool. Now, the thing is, though, you could do that before, too. You could do that before the Internet. It's what libraries were for. You think a guy like Teddy Roosevelt just became Teddy Roosevelt? No, the guy read. He went and he learned. What's the value of reading? It's the ability to take someone else's knowledge and, and absorb it, right? Their experiences, their hindsight, and to absorb it and apply it to yourself. Well, again, Tim Ferriss rocked my world in showing me you could do this with your, your health. <laughs> uh, you could do this with your business, your productivity. Uh, you, you could do this even with your, well, that, if anyone under health, you have your body a little bit there, but you could do this with your finances as well. Okay, you could learn these things, and um, so it rocked my world. My wife had been on vacation in uh, Alaska, where her sister—if I'm not—if I remember right—her sister was getting married. She, all my kids were with her. Her Sister flew them all up there. I could not go for work-related reasons, and it was really like there was—it was like Pentecost or something. It was like a big Sunday I was going to miss. Um, so, um, so I was home alone, living on Costco pizza. And uh, uh, listening to Tim Ferriss for the first time, she comes back home. You know, I mean, I'm in North Dakota, right? I'm in the middle of nowhere. Uh, she so there's a lot of Tim Ferriss in a week. <clears throat> she comes home, and I'm I'm making the bed every morning, first thing. That was brand new. She's like, "What is going on? My husband lost his mind." <laughs> you know, I was like, "I'm going to start doing this low uh, the slow carb diet thing. I'm just going to eat beans and chicken." It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, she has followed me on this, this train, but, uh, and, and I'm so thankful for that. But uh, th- th- this sparked a journey of learning that, that is still going on. And even though in some ways I've graduated from Tim Ferriss in my own, my own thinking, my own growing, my own curve on this, um, what he did meant a lot to me and still does. And so I continue to follow him as a, as a curiosity for his personal life because uh, he has wrestled with the implications of being overproductive on a very, very <clears throat> spiritual level. And I don't mean this like, uh, I should say on a first article spiritual level, like on a on a wellness level, like what does it do to your life to be productive? How does it? actually impact your relationships and things like that. And he's he's publicly done this by being who he is and then gradually talking about it. And now this last year, in some ways, he's, he's taking steps back. It's really fascinating to me. So he was contracted to write a book on saying no, on how to say no. And about halfway through the process of writing the book, he decided not to write the book and return the contract and the money and said no. Which is amazing because on the one hand, It doesn't help anybody. On the other hand, it does, because while I would have really loved to read the book, his statement about saying no is I don't have to spend the time reading the book. Like that said a lot, (laughs) right? Um, uh, And and in any case, that's part of his own personal, personal journey. So, well, part of his personal journey is another thing that he doesn't get enough credit for. Uh, cause the guy has got his fingers in a lot of different things. He's working on, you know, uh, pioneering antidepressant medication, uh, again, via Johns Hopkins and psilocybin mushrooms and, uh, pushing for uh, real study of things that could be far more useful than say the Welbutrin I got put on when I was 18 years old, dear heavens, they took that off the market. It was that dangerous. Um, so anyway, I was 18 years old. Did I say 12? 18 years old. Um, uh, but, 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 but he's, so he's he's done. He's got his fingers in uh, scientific pioneering for pharmaceutical that could be beneficial. That's you know kind of under the radar. Um, another place like that where he's doing what he I, what, what I would call humanitarian work is in his his rediscovery and and publishing of stoicism. Now, if you don't know about stoicism, the stoics are fascinating. They are the kind of arch enemies in ancient philosophy, uh, you know, comic book land. Uh, the Stoics are the arch enemies of the Epicureans. And the, the, both words today get used in English not really to mean what they meant. They're close. They're, they're connected. But they're kind of uh, parodies, right? They're, they're caricatures. So the Stoic feels no pleasure ever. And uh, they just kind of just a rock, right? And then the, um, uh, the, the Epicurean, the hedonist, we might call them, the Epicurean only seeks pleasure in nothing else. Well, that's not really the way the Epicureans and the Stoics played football back in the day, even though today you, those terms get used that way. So um, I know less about Epicurus and his teaching, but I do know he was tremendously popular in his day. It had a lot to do with him alleviating the consciences of people with regard to what they wanted to do. So people would come. you got to think like a positive self-help coach today, right? Who people come to him and he just goes, oh, it's going to be great. You're going to really do well. It's just about thinking enough of the right things about it and believing you can, right? Now, that's a really, really hyper not fair use of Epicurus, okay? But, But it would be in that direction. It'd be in that direction. And then the other direction would be the Stoics. And the Stoics, sorry, I switched. Oh, I, stupid. Burr! Burr! Burr. There. Um, the Stoics wouldn't go to those things, usually. Or if they did, they'd observe them very carefully. The Stoics, not unlike the Buddhists, are all about paying careful attention to what's going on. And realizing that it's a lot bigger than you think, and that at the end of the day, you maybe don't have as much control as you want to believe you do, but you can still do good. You can still do well. There's such a thing as a life well lived, and there's such a, such a thing as a life poorly lived. And it is about the moment, but it's not just about the moment either. Well, anyway, that's just sort of a, a really bad, because I'm not tremendously familiar. I'm only pa- passingly familiar with Stoicism, and I'm not familiar with Epicureanism. But I do know this about the Stoics. The Stoics are practically Christians. If we're talking about when they look at the world and they say, well, it looks like this, 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 and this is the way things are, Christians are like, "Yup, <laughs> Like, yeah, we, we really have a similar first article point of view. What they don't have is Jesus. They do not have the resurrected Christ. Now, uh, Paul Meyer, uh, LCMS Lutheran and fiction author, good one, uh, has got in his book, um, I believe it's Flames of Rome, although it could be Pontius. No, it's Flames of Rome, not Pontius Pilate. It's Flames of Rome. Uh, He has um, Seneca, I believe, who was one of the Stoics. Marcus Aurelius, one of the other uh, well-known ones, um, playing a, a bit part in the story because of the fact that he did know Christians and there was some real confluence between them. And later Christian authors would even talk about our Seneca. They would refer to him as if he were a Christian because he saw so clearly what we see. So, well, okay. So Tim Ferris is an avid fan of Seneca and Stoicism, a, a philosophical wisdom tradition that has ties to Christianity historically but is not Christianity, has ties to Christianity intellectually but is not Christianity. He, he's really into Seneca. okay See, if, to the level that, that he has gone and published for free you can go get him. Uh, three volumes of Seneca's works as ebooks, very, very nicely done ebooks by This wasn't some cheap slap together thing like you might buy a hymnal of or something not saying anything but really look the difference is palpable um his version his pdfs are phenomenally well produced uh so those go pick those up i mean those are really worth looking at um so so that's going on okay now and i got more to this this is all history of like why this book now although it may never even get rid right but one of the other things i've paid attention to for a long time and i think the introduction to this was the sopranos for pete's sake that show was terrible it really was. I liked it at the time, but that was a stupid show. Anyway, talk about that in the comics. Super chatted if you want to talk about it. <laughs> all right. So, um, hold on. Testing, testing. One, two, three. Yeah. Okay. Sopranos. For all of its... Ugh, I don't even want to think about it. Um. Hold on. For all of its... Ugh, we'll come back to that. I'm going to make sure my auto adjust is on. For all of its... Ugh. It was a highly intellectual show, and it wrestled with philosophical concepts. That's part of why people liked it so much. And, you know, Tony, this this arch-mafia boss, idiot, jerk, really, who you love because he's human, but he's a jerk. Um, he also is wrestling with Philosophical ideas, and so you that appeals to the intellectual viewer a little bit, like oh, I see he's asking these questions. So anyway, through that, I stumble into a book called *The Art of War* by Sun Tzu. Perhaps you've heard of it, perhaps not. You probably have. It's in tremendously popular. I mean, it's not the Bible, but um, and I don't know how much *Sopranos* brought it back, but it was around before that as a underground kind of cult classic, right? If you think like movies, cult classic movies, it's like a cult classic business book that in, you know, secret circles in LA, they'd be like, well, if you really want to know how to run a business, don't just read Machiavelli. You got to read The Art of War. Yeah. And, and they would be kind of, it passed around that way. And Sopranos maybe exploded that a little bit in the pop consciousness. I don't know. I don't know who else read it before, but I bought a copy and I read it. I also had already been into the idea of who Musashi was. Um, and now there's another name, uh, uh, as a kid, I had read Shogun, right? Um, and so, uh, oh, I got a super chat. Eh, Thank you, Josh, for giving me my first super chat of the day. Yay. Um, as I talk about Shogun, I know Josh has read Shogun because I know Josh is a reader. Josh, if you haven't read Shogun, you need to read Shogun, by the way, you will be blown away. It's your kind of book. Um, Shogun. I'd fallen from Shogun into Musashi. Actually, read Mus- Musashi in my in my twenties. Um, from Musashi into the Book of Five Rings, which is not by Musashi but by this other guy. And then Sun Tzu is convoluting into all of this. So so effectively, I'm having an introduction to the ancient, ancient, near ancient, near Eastern. Excuse me, near ancient, far Eastern wisdom culture. <clears throat> which is interesting because of how much it is similar to, say. Philosophical Greek thought. And what do I call it? This is where the book's going to come in now. What do you do with the fact that everybody knows who Buddha is, right? And Confucius. And and you might not have read Sun Tzu, but you know there's this wisdom tradition that exists over there. You just kind of know it. Kung Fu. Right? So you got that and everyone knows the Greek philosophers, the guys with togas, talking, right? Why is Solomon not in this conversation? Like, right? Like, forget Christianity here, right? I'm thinking about Tim Ferris. Why is Solomon not in this conversation? Shouldn't he be? If, you're, if your real goal as a thinker is to engage life for a life well-lived. And you want to rely on the ancient wise. And you leave Solomon out. You're an idiot. Everybody raises their hand. Yeah, I'm an idiot. So, So my question then is this how do you make a movement that makes Solomon popular? Because I think he'll sell. I do. Ecclesiastes particularly. Uh, Don't tell anyone yet. Not until I write my book. So, So with that thought in mind, I started asking, okay, so what if I tried to write a book about wisdom? I know, that's really audacious. Um... And make it look like and feel like the art of war, only is entirely based on Solomon's thinking. And then, of course, it's going to have my head in it too. So that's a bit arrogant of me, I know. But um, all as a all as a a trigger, you know, it's just like a it's like a silver bullet rifle shot across. The span of internet world. Target Tim Ferriss, but there's a crowd around him. All I got to do is hit somebody, you know? And um, with that idea piercing the darkness of their mind, lest some asshole, excuse me, think I'm talking about actually shooting anybody. I'm not. Um, with that idea piercing their mind, sorry, that was not safe for work comment. It bothers me that I live in an age where I'm afraid of people actually doing that with video, right? Like, look. Like, you could make this meme say anything you want, and it could be evil, right? That bothers me. It bothers me to think about the manipulation of images to manipulate minds. I still just straight-up apologize. Um, I'll see if I can beep that out of the reruns. Uh, I want... See, if, by the way, if you're really offended by that, please go look at the newsletter's commentary on cursing. I've written six-part article on this thing uh, in uh, support of a fiction work that I'm working on, maybe, <laughs> on the side. Um, but I really do have a thing about this. Like, why is that word I just said, that's not okay, but you not tithing is okay? <laughs> right? Tell me, riddle me that one, Batman. And it's not just about you not tithing. I just wanted to pick something that we all would be you know, convicted by. I don't tithe. I'd like to. I'm trying to. I don't. Uh, so uh, why is that other word worse? Isn't that what I am, technically? How do I say that someone is a bad person in such a way that really conveys the wickedness of it? Or that an action is evil in a way that actually conveys what the action is? You know, a, a true enemy is not a poo-poo head. You know, um. so how do you, how do we avoid, we want to avoid blasphemy. I'm fully with this. You best be a avo- you best be avoiding blasphemy. But how do we avoid not being sanctimonious as we avoid blasphemy and trying to call things sin that are not sins. So that was crass what I did. It was not sinful. It was crass. So the sin was in it hurting your ears if it did. And for that, I apologize. But the word itself, I mean, it's a reference point. It's a gross, one. Um, but if somebody's going to be that big of a, big of a jerk, um, what I want is for the wisdom that would let you think about the words you say after you say them, assess them, repent of them, and still talk. The wisdom which Solomon has that lets you assess yourself and the world with clarity. I want that to get out into the pagan world as pop-cool as Seneca is becoming. And I'll tell you why. You know why. Is I mean, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, shy just one, right? And yeah, you could go out with the wisdom of Jesus, just like the evangelicals always do, and, and really you know kind of do that. It's going to look as cheesy as it always does. We have a guy to market who's the wisest guy in the world. Why is nobody reading him? That's my point. If you want to get hung up on the, the curse word again, I apologize. Um, so, I this is an interesting thought to me, by the way, as I wonder about my comment. Doesn't matter. I'm going to go and jump, 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 jump here. Now. So now that I've pitched this idea to you, right, of the wisdom book, like you got to be thinking Art of War. This is not Echo. (laughs) Uh, This is so out of the box, okay? But it's on purpose Um, because it's going to be – it's like Art of War. So page one, you don't see a lot, and you're not going to see the page one here. That's just part of my um, – this is just part of my keeping track of it in Evernote, okay? So page one is blank except for you know this, this right here. Um, and the, the idea here is you're not supposed to read this book. You're supposed to ponder this book. So if you ever picked up Sun Tzu and you're like, this is really boring, I can't read it. Well, you're reading too fast. If you ever want to try again, you want to read some of this wisdom literature, Proverbs is kind of the same way. Um, do one verse a day. And read that one verse like four to five times. So first thing in the morning, breakfast, lunch, dinner, before bed, right? And just let it sit there. Yeah? So that's the way this book's written. And page one is, on the one hand, it is the outline of the book. It's also part of a gamified tool for hopefully, teaching you how the book is ordered. But that's a little bit of a puzzle. It's a book on wisdom, after all. Um, and it's, it, on the one hand, it's a chapter. On the other hand, it's not. Okay? It's just meant to be pondered. But everything else that's going to come, comes from this. There are two wisdoms. There is one knowledge. There is much insight. There is also Blindness. Now, what I like about this, too, is it's poetry, too. I, and this is where the, the nerd in me is going to be. So, uh, did you know, if you really want to be serious about it, my undergraduate degree, my bachelor's, so I don't say this very often. Usually people ask me, what you go to school for? I said oh, I got a degree in English. It's true. I did. It says it. English degree. But I was not like all the other English degrees. There were some like me, there were about 10 of us in my class. Uh, our English degree was, it wasn't a major, it just emphasized. An English degree with an emphasis in creative writing. Which, I mean, it was really kind of clever if you wanted to get a degree and not do as much work as a bunch of other people. And you're not afraid of writing. Uh, because I basically had half the load that the English majors had, and the other half was I could write whatever I wanted. I had classes in fiction, I had classes in nonfiction, I had classes in poetry, most of them just workshops. It's embarrassing, actually. So, so, my, so in this sense, my, my undergraduate degree is, is an English degree with an emphasis in the creative writing of poetry. That was my emphasis. So when I when I had to pick and do my final super project, I picked a poetry project. I did another a creative writing project too for for fiction, but um, my big one was poetry. So what's your undergraduate degree in Fisk poetry writing? It roses are red, violets are blue. This is my poem. It doesn't rhyme because it's modern. <laughs> ah, so it's something I've never really been able to use well. Some of you may know I've written a hymn or verse here or there, but. I've never been able to use it well. And when I was writing this yesterday, it was like, wait a minute, this ancient stuff is poetry. This is awesome. This is fun. I don't. I mean, you may never care, right? It's but there's some poetry to it too. Okay, so this is the first page, and it, it really, it really is the outline of the book. So th- there are two wisdoms. The book is going to talk about how there are two kinds of wisdom. There is one knowledge. There's only one true knowledge and the book's going to be about what that one true knowledge is um there is much insight so there there are many things that you can perceive and see yeah that i would distinguish at least in the book from knowledge uh now that may be a little bit of jargon that i'm creating but that's okay that's the way it's going to be for the book now yeah? and again imagine you're somebody who knows nothing about christianity Right? That's who this is for. This is for somebody who has no Christian reference point. Um, There is much insight, and then uh, it doesn't mean you have any of any of it. Right? There's more. That's page one. All right. So, to get to, oof, you're going to have to see all my stuffs. Uh, The, the, where are you? The. Second wisdom. There we go. Um let's go to page two. There it is. So page two, you, again, you're not going to see the page number here at all. Uh, you're just gonna see this. So there's been a little bit of shift in the layout. Like I said, it's a little gamified. I'm not going to walk you through the puzzle, but but I'm just going to read it to you. You cannot create wisdom. You cannot own knowledge. You cannot farm insight. Vision may only be seen. Now, in theory, you shouldn't go any further than that today. You already went too far. You should have been on the first page for a day and a half. Okay? This page, that that piece right there, should be another day. Read it through, think about it five times. And then the next day, the first wisdom is Secular. The second wisdom is crucial. Knowledge is before is. To see well, but to not do well, is to not do well. To see and to know are neither synonymous nor antipodal. Now you might have to look up a word or two here too, right? But remember, this was all day right? This was all day. That's how these books work. That's the genre I'm entering. It's so weird, right? Like, you're like, what, Fisk? I'm not sure it's worth it. But the thing is, oh, it's so good. Because it is. It's Solomon. It's going to get to Solomon. It's going to spread out its wings and hit Solomon. Whereas, Let me just give you a little piece here. This part's not really supposed to be there. The puzzle may not be complete and may change, but... Um, right, this is Solomon right there. Wisdom is this, get wisdom. That's Solomon right there. And then, look at this. Oh, I love this. This is great. This is all Solomon. The more one sees, the more frustrated one becomes. A glance does not satiate the eye. A sound does not give the ear its fill. That which can be measured is that which can decay. The wind is seen with the mind, measured and remembered. The cosmos speaks authority, and it is known. Now we we left. This was Solomon right up to here. This is John chapter one. Uh, this is Genesis one of the infinite void substance. This is the resurrection of Jesus of the evidence conclusions. Um, this is the fall. Doubt is reasonable until it is not, uh, and then this is justification. Trust is knowledge of the future. Like it's got it's a dogmatics, but it's written in in modern. Expectations for wisdom literature? Um, maybe. I <laughs> think I'm biting off too much. <laughs> I don't know, right? I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and I've got up to page six ish, started parts of page six. Page four is really the completion. This won't really be page four. It'll be like page seven through eight or nine, probably by the time you get there. But as it's poetry, it's laid out a certain way. Oh, this is Solomon. A, a wise person should listen, and he will hear wisdom. Right, so I don't know. What do you think? Let's get out of that. Let's get out of that wisdom. That the point is to me that there is something we have to share, and that Solomon is underrated in the industry. Like they don't even know he's there. Why are not the Hebrews doing that? Would like some of my anti-Semites like to come out and yell at me for thinking that you know this Jew Solomon. Uh, is a great marketing tool and wonder why on earth those who have his bloodline in them do not market him more i, I you got me it's a, you know do you know that it's a curse not a curse word it's an insult his name has become an insult in some eras of uh, modern hebrew culture shlomosh that's his name shlomosh solomon and if someone calls you a shlomosh it's not a uh, it's not a compliment it's a wise guy it's a smart uh, oh yeah see we can't say that one either can we we should be able to say these words it's just donkey donkey face um that's worse <laughs> uh, you know what a smart donkey would be it'd be balaam's oh look there it was it used to be just a normal word um and then we made it bad for some reason isn't that weird too how opinion does in fact decide what words mean that is true that's how language works in the fall Blah. wisdom Solomon why are we not promoting him? that's the idea behind that I don't know I welcome your feedback on that from the sidebar as you will. I've got a few of your viewer questions, at least one that has been saved to uh, to look at. There were um, there were more there were as many this week, but I answered some in other places and so no they all didn't make it through to this morning. Let me jump over here and grab one but I want to go into your comments as well on the sidebar. let's just let's make sure we get this one here up and we're gonna go there there um this was from a longer email and the heart of the person you who wrote it um i think you're in the right place but i think uh my response to you is going to be one that's a little bit of hard love so i hope that's okay um And it's also a little bit of just, yeah, it's a little bit of hard love. It's good, though. Your heart's in the right place. I don't want you to feel punished. I want you to feel perhaps a little unwise, however. Um, And I'm not going to share everything you wrote. Um, I think this is enough to answer the question for public. Uh, so, so to give a brief background, blah, 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 blah. to give a brief background, I have a friend. He grew up in a Presbyterian home. He can quote scripture and loves to argue with people. I quit arguing with him a few years ago. I told him it was pointless to argue with him. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He believes in his good works. We live in different states, so I don't talk to him frequently. I feel like I'm watching a train about to derail, and there is nothing I can do to prevent it from happening. How do you talk to someone like this? Now, this question right there. That is where I want to zoom in on initially here. How do you talk to someone like this? Like what? Like what? Nobody's like this until they're like something. Like, you need to define what it is you mean when you say like this. And you need to be very careful as you do it because you have entered into the seat of judgment when you start talking about people like that, okay? And so if you're going to be making that kind of judgment, you really want to be using biblical categories. You really do not want to be the one who is making the judgment yourself. You want to say that people are like what Scripture says, not like that, right? So that's my concern in this now. And the other thing now, as we get specific about what this means for you, there are two things that bother me. One is that you've already said that a person like this can't be argued with, which is to confess that this person does not want to actually have a conversation. And you've realized that. Now, I don't know how to diagnose that psychologically, but there are diagnoses for this kind of behavior in which you have no intention Of learning in the conversation, you only intend to railroad and drive home your own point of view and be loudest and think that you won. There are people who do that more and people who do that less. We all do it a little bit sometimes, at least in our own heads. But it doesn't breed for communication. It doesn't breed for peace. And so, if you realize that you're you're living with someone who never listens at all. You're talking to someone who never listens at all, and you get to that point where you say to them, you never listen at all, I'm not really going to talk about this anymore. Well, then stand by that decision, which means you don't need to answer this question. How do you talk to him? You've decided already. You already told me. You don't. Not on this topic. You just don't. Unless it's not pointless. Now, our theology might tell you that it's not pointless, but mm, that's not entirely true either. One can harden himself so much that it is pointless to argue with him about Christianity, to talk to him about Christianity. One can do that. Pharaoh did that. Judas did that. Okay? Where is that line? We don't get to sit in judgment on that. That's why we don't get to—we can't talk about people like that, except in some sort of general category of of, uh, theory. You can't really just— Unless you're going to sit there on Judgment Day and tell Jesus how to make decisions, you don't get to decide who's made those steps and who hasn't. You live as if no one has, but knowing it's possible for all of us to do so. Yeah. So yeah, sure, words about Jesus in his life are good, no matter what. At the same time, there are other people who maybe want want to hear those words. And so how much time of your life is not doing well because he's stealing it? by arguing and not listening, not having a conversation. And so it's perfectly fair as a Christian to come to the conclusion, I'm not going to talk to this person anymore. I'm going to spend the very limited time I have talking to somebody else who wants to listen, who wants to have a conversation. Even if they're also an atheist, they might be better at having a conversation, (laughs) right? Uh, Than giving you this kind of response. So if you get to that point, if you really think that, stand by it. Don't feel bad about it. It's just true. Could you talk to Hitler? I mean, he's not Hitler. It's not what I'm saying. But like, I think there's a certain point at which you just decide, I'm not going to talk to that guy. That would be stupid. That's dangerous to talk to that guy. I might get killed, right? <laughs> you know, that's okay. To, to see the writing on the wall. huh no? To use a biblical metaphor. Uh, so, there is that. But then... This worries me. Why are you so attached to this guy? I told you it's going to be hard love. Here it is. You live in different states. You don't talk to him frequently. Why are you watching? What are you watching? You don't want to argue with him. You stopped arguing years ago. He's not even really like your friend. I mean, he kind of is. He's a contact point, but he's not like your buddy. Like, so is it just, is it just, You don't really care that much, but every once in a while you hear about it and you're like, oh, it's more of the same mistake. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. How do you talk to someone like this? Because you want to get back in his life and start up a real conversation? Is that really where the question is? I don't know. Prayer. That's where I'd start. Dear Lord Jesus, this friend of mine needs this specifically. If I can be of any resource to him, open that door, make that path straight for me. Um, that's how you would start that. But what I'm worried about here is that you've taken on a protective role in his life and that there's some sort of um, co-enabling going on. And that, again, I'm no, I'm no shrink, but co-enabling is when your pattern and his pattern need each other in order to continue to deceive yourselves individually. right? So together you're playing a, a role, a drama, out of your childhood trying to fix things from childhood and it gives you security and stops you from having to actually fix them Uh, like that would be my my summary of it again I'm no shrink but um, that would be my my concern I hear that a little bit here I've been in those relationships uh, both uh, romantically as a younger man and then just randomly in life as well you kind of You start to ask, you know, well, why is there a cycle of back and forth that's going on here? Push away, pull together. It's like, oh, there's something not so good here. But maybe maybe it's not that. And you're just like, I got this buddy. I've seen him from afar. I know his life is ruined. I want to help him. Then the answer is pray. Because if you just come across the Internet with a salvo of, hey, you idiot, believe in Jesus. This is going to ruin your life. It ain't going to work, Right. Um, you could try to talk about other topics and, and control the conversation if you want. I'm not sure any of us are very good at that. I think you can study that, but I don't know if that's a good goal. I think you start by trusting that the Lord of the harvest will save this man. If that is what the Lord of the harvest will do. And so asking the Lord of the harvest to do it. And then if you can be of use, great. If not, why does it have to be about you? You just want to see it, right? Lord, let me see my friend believe. Grant grant me this dying wish, Lord, that before I die, my friend may, may live. right? Live in faith. Um, that's how you talk to someone like that, I think. Yeah? All right. Let's get out of this. I want to go to comments for a little while. That was serious. If you still love me after that, I really appreciate it. It was all intended for your edification. Kaboom. Right on the bottom there bonus for the zelda picture ah boof i remember a person who lived in my neighborhood that did not want to talk to a pastor the pastor would be biased toward his own religion (laughs) because you're not that's my favorite part right because you're not the pastor's biased but i'm not i'm completely objective yeah i'm gonna get into i think i started to we didn't read that part uh but in the second wisdom if that's the name of the book uh In the second wisdom, I'm going to get into the idea of reason and logic a little bit and how they play with knowledge and truth and trust. Um, And this is so what's lacking in this. So, So from a very human point of view, forget Christianity, this statement is the statement made by a moron. Like if we're talking, if we're talking logical consistency, that's not logical. That's idiotic. You can never talk to anybody then. If you're, if you're metric for talking to someone, well, they'll be biased, then you are going to be a silent monk on a hillside. Now, part of me envies that. I'd love to have a little more stare into space time. I lost it when I started waking up at 7 a.m. <laughs> Instead of 4.30. Um, but but uh, I'm, I'm going to maintain. As I say this too, I think we need to be far more willing to acknowledge idiocy, and moronic realities. And I, I tried this the other day. I was talking, I forget who I was talking to. Oh, a buddy of mine. Uh, about um, about kids. And I was like, look, every six-year-old boy's a moron. And he knew what I meant, but I think he didn't too. I think he kind of like took it as like, yeah, you know, they do stupid stuff sometimes. But no, 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 no. Like if you slow down and you watch their thought process and you wrote it out on a piece of paper and then you did the inner monologue, right? They're idiots, at eight years old. They're complete, you know, Oompa Loompa, Jabberwocky fools. The, 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 the level of inner monologue is is just completely moron. And we have to be able to say that and not think that means it's bad. Like an eight-year-old boy's i do not Legos, I'm a Pokemon. Run run, 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 jump. Oops, I broke it, right? Like, like that's, <laughs> that that's the level they're at. That's a beautiful God-given thing. And we want to love it and rejoice in it. Keep it from killing itself and channel it into the 10-year-old version of idiot. Okay? So so the 10-year-old's an idiot. The 12-year-old's still an idiot. The 20-year-old, he's a smarter idiot. <laughs> the 25-year-old, he finally can realize he's an idiot. Yeah? The 40-year-old he maybe shuts up a little bit sometimes. Now, then you have the question of did you learn at all? Because from there to like 65, you either become more astute at when you speak or you remain an idiot at the highest level your whole life. But the one who is astute and doesn't always speak, if he does, will tell you he's an idiot right now. And then in five years, he'll look back and say, what a doofus. We have to be able to do that. Our culture can't do that at all. It's amazing. Like, it's all like, I'm always so great, right? It, 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 because we think that somehow to be a moron and to be an idiot would mean like to not know anything. And this is kind of like, so we only have like one way of thinking of knowledge, which is science now, too. right? So we have no categories for this. We don't have a wisdom literature that we rely on to help us understand the differences in the way that you think, the nuances in thinking. The closest thing we have, which also made it in the book already, is Dungeon and Dragon scaling in- intelligence and wisdom and charisma as-, as tools for dice rolling. It's the closest we got to understanding nuanced thinking in American culture a theory of how thought thinks so we have to be able to acknowledge that we're not as smart as we think we are and we may in fact be morons and that doesn't make it so that we all die it just means we should slow down in thinking so highly of our own thoughts and assuming that just because I know it right now means I'm going to know it tomorrow On multiple levels. Because even if it's true and you know it right now, you could forget it by tomorrow. It happens. There's diseases that make it happen. (laughs) So, you know, to to, to sit back so highly on what your mind has attained is is a great danger. So I I love this then. I relish the thought of my two-year-old. I don't have any more two-year-olds. My one-year-old, my infant. to, To look at the infant and think. The beautiful, the beautiful moron. Look, like they can't even, all they can do is stare. Like, it's just, it's like everything is so ununderstandable. They just stare. But there's a beauty in that. It's design. It's design. Something gorgeous about going from less to more. I don't know. So, so when I say this guy's an idiot, it's just, it's like, it's not personal, man. Like, like you're thinking like a four-year-old so no one taught you it's not your fault todd you're at the bottom super chats get priority uh i've come to the same conclusion with my baptist parents they don't understand why i had my then two-year-old baptized that sounds like that may be a response to something else but also just not having the conversation anymore i know yeah um this is not really going to be helpful but it it is it is something to think about so it can help them understand closed communion. The fact that they don't want your kid baptized, like it's defined for you all that, oh, we we believe different things, really seriously different things. And you're offended you also can't commune at my my church's altar because we believe really different things. But here's the thing. If I went to your church with my two-year-old kid and said, baptize my kid, would you do it? No. So why do you get to come to my church and say, commune me? No, same kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, can we be friends about this? Can we like? Can we like be civilized and not shoot at each other and get all you know, you know, donkey hurt, uh, <laughs> bat poo hurt? Um, bat poo doesn't work there at all. Uh, can we? Can we? Can we have this conversation and not be children? You know, like, why is it not possible? I know why. We've been trained. They've been training us for a um, a culture mind wipe, and uh, as a result of that, you know, intentionally using media to distract and forget us, make us forget. And I don't mean like this is just one person, the devil, but but uh, the the system is in a a tailspin of devolution thinking, leading toward what it believes will be. I think if I get the zeitgeist right, it believes it will be a um, kind of rising from the ashes purity utopia. So there's some Marxist influenced on this. I don't think everyone's thinking this, but but Marx is mark on the uh, you know, or, or you could call it the Raja Ghoul effect um, on civilization. It seems to be happening. I don't think again that there's some group of men doing this. I think there's an arch demon doing this, uh, but. Uh, it, it does seem to be happening. And one of the ways that it is working is it has stolen conversation from us. We're not able to talk to each other honestly anymore as a society. Instead, we, we go animal, right? We go pure instinct, emotion, and rage We're like a bunch of monkeys dancing around throwing sticks at each other. And civilization lives from saying that's stupid Again, like that, that's what morons do, is they throw sticks at each other. Those who have wisdom see a better way. They see a path to all ships rising in the tide and not shooting the ships down. So in this then, I believe firmly Christianity of all places should be a place where this kind of conversation, like one with Baptists, should be able to take place. We should be able to sit at the table and acknowledge that while we are not fraternal in fraternity, right? we are fraternal in our acknowledgement of the king. We, ne- we kneel to the same king. And in that way, we leave it to the king to be the judge. We'll share the message of the King, right? Right. Uh, we both think here's the message of the King. Here's look, it's in the scriptures. It says this. We have a little debate. You're talking about stuff that's not scripture. I am talking about scripture, but it doesn't matter. You love scripture too. You say so. So, bow the knee, have a conversation. So, but but you're Todd. I'm not. I'm not uh, condemning you. The problem is, Christians are more like the culture around us than we are. Well, like Paul, willing to have a conversation with anybody. And not get offended. Yeah. So good stuff, Todd. I, I get it. There's I I've there are certain conversations I do not have. Usually they involve um orange men. <laughs> <laughs> uh so, alright. Uh do do. LCMS Christian says any thoughts on the american association of lutheran churches jordan cooper in particular that we are in fellowship with them nope no thoughts i don't know much about it i know jordan's out there um that's about all i know Do-do-do. Josh, you paid for it earlier. I'll give it to you now. Oh, hey, okay, gotcha. It's unfortunate you even need to consider the question. Oh, this is to Carl. This is a long conversation. Really, we ought to be in fellowship with Wells. It's just pastoral theology nuances that separate us. Yes, that is, and the more I learn, the more I wonder how much it actually does. My most recent episode with uh, Pastor Kuntz, uh, from Fort Wayne, uh, this was a week ago. I think it's called... Uh, something American nation and it's most on Lutheran effects Uh, we get into some detail on the Wells and the Wabatosa theology Uh, he's, he's a really well read dude and so I pick his brain on that and that'll probably come back more but out of that and out of the fact there's a lot of Wells guys that listen to this stuff and watch this stuff and there's a number of ELS guys that are doing it too like what is the difference what is the difference one of the many back pocket plans by the way is a conference in Rockford for wells lcms and els guys just to talk about this very thing without the politics just to talk about the issue pastoral theology what's going on but again pulling those things off is easier said than done uh still josh because he paid for it uh it's unfortunate oh nope that's the one there was another one i skipped one where are you you were somewhere else were you not no you were not yeah, this one here. Um, you would need to leave the LCMS in terms of membership. A person cannot officially be a member of two churches. So yeah, depending on where you were going. Um, here's the thing, keep in mind. This is really, really awkward and annoying, and man made it up, so it doesn't matter, but it is the system that we have. You are not a member of the LCMS. The only members of the LCMS are congregations as they are constituted. That is what your constitution says. That, is, that Constitution, that Voters' Assembly, is, as a Voters' Assembly, a member of the Synod of the Lutheran Church that meets in Missouri, headquartered in Missouri. The um, The other members of that Synod are the pastors, the called ministers of the gospel ordained. I believe the called ministers of the gospel non-ordained, which is everybody else that's that works in church and can get a call, so that they get tax benefits from the government because it's not really the biblical call. Not in the same way. It's a Christian call. It's a call of vocation. Um, I, I believe they are also members, but they are not voting members of the synod. Um, and not all pastors that are members are voting members because there's like, a, there's like a, a split level of structure. But So here's the thing. Everybody else is a member of a congregation. And that means... Really, nothing more than that you commune there regularly. That's what membership means. But then you also, in most LCMS churches, are a communicant member and therefore also a voting member. And that's where the language member becomes more and more tied. So when when communicant membership and voting membership are the same thing, which they don't have to be, but they are in a lot of congregations, you are a member of one voters' assembly you are not allowed to retain membership of two voters' assemblies. So while you can commune in multiple places, you would have that membership in one. Now, if you t- if you cease to be a member of a voting assembly that is a Missouri Senate-affiliated voting assembly, and you become one of someone that is not affiliated with us, and even that they themselves say, we won't be affiliated with them, which is what the Wells is at at the moment, which is understandable, honestly. Um, if you join that, well, then you're a member of that congregation, and by extension— not a member of an LCMS congregation and thereby not a communicant in an LCMS congregation, nor should you be, right? Um, because you've chosen one that says we're so heterodox, we're dangerous. So, so yeah, but that's not about being a member of the LCMS. It's about being in communion with the LCMS. And I think the more we think about things in those terms, we think about communion as being our identity in Christ a little bit more. Some guy wrote a book about that recently. Um, That the more that we're able to do that, um, the more we see communion is what it's about. The idea of membership won't be such an issue, but changing churches so that you don't commune anymore, well, that'll be an issue, right? That'll be an issue. Um, But maybe it's what you need to do. And it doesn't mean that we're not friends anymore. In fact, maybe we're working toward unity. And the only way to get there is to be honest about the differences that divide us in the first place. the ELS has done a bit better job of keeping the liturgy proper, but part of that comes with being a smaller sentence. So so I hear, and then I hear not. So I never really know. I never really know. Um, yeah, well, it's not that important. Uh, I mean, it, it is, but like, you know, it's your perspective on your game. Um, I think once that camel's got its nose under the tent, it doesn't get smaller, usually. So uh, wells are divided in worship in general. See, and again, I've heard the opposite of that but I believe what you're saying is probably true um, we're all kind of fighting the battle against idolatry it's just where you're making the idols. So institutionalism has fallen down around us. You have people who are brand loyal but not renewed of mind and uh, the brand has not been renewing their mind uh, this is across the table um, it's an American nation problem uh, it's, it is what it is. It's the, it's the reason we're here we've been appointed for such a time as this It's no reason to cry and pout It's a reason to stand up and say, all right, Lord, you're in control of the harvest. Help this one out. Start praying for people by name. Would you open their eyes? Let them see. Have them have this in their life. Let them be a blessing to these around them in these ways, right? Uh, Pastors, start doing that for your people. People, start doing that for the people around you. Because Without that, it's just all us, right? And us ain't going to grow stuff called bat poo. That's crazy. All right. Hmm. Todd Vallier, you're back again. Before we get to you, we're going to let Ardith put some pizza up here for some reason. Don't know why. Pizza. You know I don't eat pizza. I do miss it. I do miss it. We do this thing, though, um, where we do – we take we make like an egg bake where you take like um, – because carnivore, okay? So, so uh, it's like an egg bake, heavy on the egg, but you take some beef and some sausage – right, like good pizza sausage, and ground beef, and you mix it up in your egg bag. And then, you bake it, and then you take your pizza sauce, and your cheese, and you got an almost carnivore pizza. Um, The pizza sauce is acidic, and so if you've not been eating vegetables for a while, you will find the runs may result, and it largely is going to do with the tomato acidity, I think, it's my experience, but it's worth it every once in a while, it really is, so with that said, pizza. um, Yeah. And I'm not, no. If you would like to know more, there's a podcast with Will Whedon and me doing the whole why thing, and you can go dig that up. Um, so Todd says, it's an annoyingly difficult issue to deal with. It's hard to teach and pinpoint where the liturgy ends and co-wo begins, but co-wo is insidious. Yes. um, Well, I think I can pinpoint it. I think I can. Now, let me see if I can do it, though. It has everything to do with where the Holy Spirit is. And the moment you think the Holy Spirit needs the music, you're in Kobo. And it doesn't matter if you're using organ and the highest classical orchestrated choir ever. If you think it's about the music when you walk in the room, then it's Kobo. And it is insidious and destructive. Straight up. Now, I don't call it Kobo. I call it revivalism because that's really what it is. It's really what it is. And it is a fine line because you could say the same thing about certain styles of preaching. And I'll have to admit, I tread a little close. I tread a little close. But the thing is, what the revivalists did well, we cannot reject simply because they did it well. What did they do well? They plan. Most Lutherans don't plan at all. Uh, the, the revivalists plan. And then they adapt their plan. And they put the plan into practice with a strategy. And they learn about how the results work and they try to do it again better. Revivalists are really good at that kind of stuff. And there's a big corner of of the Lutheran world that's like, well then, since Kowo plans, we shan't. We will not be like them. And it's like, and you wonder why I like, say, well, we're all idiots. We're all idiots. Like, like, let's uh, cut off the nose to spite the face. That's how the proverb goes, right? So, uh, you know, at a certain point, we got to realize that the problem is not a guitar. The problem is not a lead singer, even. The problem is technically not a trap set, although it's the hardest thing ever to get to be reverent. It's just not going to happen unless you're doing some sort of military thing with it. Um, it's just not going to be reverent. And so why would you want it? Well, because you already want all the other stuff too. Um, Otherwise, you would see how it doesn't fit. But it could fit theoretically, because it's not about that. It's about whether or not you think it needs to be there. So if you're going to die on making sure the trap set fits in a church, you're worshiping the trap set. What you should instead be doing, what we need to be doing, is dying on making sure that communicative preaching And singing that gives us those words so we can hear them as words, not as songs, as words. If it's not getting to us as words, we're wasting our time. Song can be so powerful for keeping the words with you, but it can also just be its own thing without the words. And I think... That happens in more than one way. It happens when pastors want to have the song because of the words, but the tune's too hard to sing and everyone struggles. Now, you got to do that sometimes and in some ways so that we learn it, but limit it. Got to limit it. Because you need them to know some things well enough that they can sing them from heart. Ah, So that they have the words. And of course, Koa would never do that. Um, I mean, it would expect you to listen to it on the radio, so you do learn it by heart, but then you're only going to have it be any good for a couple years. It would never do it in such a way that it would be by heart your whole life long. And that also would tell you where it ends and where it begins. When it lives forever, it's liturgy. When it only lives for a little while, it's revivalism. You know, Good stuff, though. Mm, Those who have grown up with the sacrament of worshiping guitar um, now believe it is a must. Yeah, right. Right. Because revivalism is founded on a rejection of the sacrament's sufficiency. The sacrament is a dead work. The sacrament is a symbol and nothing more. And without um, the inspiration that new measures could drive up within you, without that, then the sacrament is nothing. that's the opposite of Christianity. Christianity says the sacrament is everything. Even if you're all dead and faithless around it, it's still Jesus. The devil could be presiding over it. You could all be not believing. You could even be blaspheming it. It would still be him. That's what we did. That's the cross. There he is. Nobody believed it. He was here anyway. Saving anyway. That is so different than, you know, I just can't go to a church. Where they don't have an organ. Where they don't have a band. You're worshiping the music. So revivalism's sacrament is music. That's why it's dangerous today to do anything new with music. Because you're playing with the idol of somebody else. Yeah. Uh, So you don't have a choice. And we cannot cut off our nose to spite our face. We cannot have bad music. Well, the revivalists say that salvation only happens with good music. Therefore, we will have bad music to prove salvation happens anyway. I like guess that's, that's like the old Lutheran way a little bit. And it is cutting off the nose to spite the face, you know. Uh, they say that the, uh, the, the the blood of Christ is just the red of the wine, and so we will use white wine, even though no one knows why, for generations to teach those Baptists who don't ever come here and think we're all jerks that you can use white wine. Like what a what a hill to die on that one! That was really a hill to die on right there. Oof, you got him, <laughs> you know. And I'm hey, I get it. Our fathers they were pious. They, they, they took it seriously. When they did make that decision, it was because they were being reverent at that moment, over and against an enemy. I don't know that they were wisely assessing the battleground. Now, when your tactic is so limited and doesn't actually teach, that's when you have a problem. So again, you know, if you got white wine at your church, is there to teach you that Jesus' words and wine are all you need, and it's not a symbol based on the color. Uh, do you need to teach it in that way? No. No, you don't. But, okay, again, so back to Brian's point here. Um, when when you take some other thing and require it, as Lutherans, we do need to say, no, it's not required. It is not required that you have good music for the church to grow. It's not required to have any music for the church to grow. And this would cut through it like a knife. I'll sign up for it if everybody else will. No music for like a year. Hiatus. Straight up. We just speak it. Speak it, read it, exhort it, study it. There you go. All the songs. All the words. I'll let you put in some of your praise songs for that too. If we all do it together. We'll do do multiple of your praise songs every week in the liturgy, spoken only, and discussed. Revivalism won't even play the game. And if you're a if you're a liturgy person and you wouldn't either, but then you're playing their game. Don't play their game. Liturgy wins instantly the moment we get rid of all the music and we do a year of just reading it all together. It wins forever. It does not lose. It can't lose. The problem is we've buried it so far under the music that no one's paying attention to that part anymore and we're arguing about the music which means we're arguing about the game of sacramental music which means we're on the revivalist turf and you you think you're on the revivalist turf you're going to win in Rome no I'll play their game only if you want to be a Roman I'd rather worship in a catacomb it's more authentic some candlelight <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd rather be outside the, outside the city, man. I'd rather be where I am not beholden to an idol. And I am not going to stop talking about that as much as I want good music. I want the best music. I want to be able to close my eyes and sing. Believe it or not, I do it with the liturgy now. I want it to be better, even better still. But I don't want it so bad that I would say is necessary. Now, what's necessary is for us to stop scaring people away with weirdness. <laughs> A weird LCMS nonsense. Oh, man. You have to find us. We're buried in a field. We're a treasure, we swear. Find us. Dig us up. It'll be worth it. We won't tell you how. (laughs) It's just nuts. Anyhow, anyhow. uh Uh-oh. Pizza. Pizza is back forever. Everyone's throwing pizza at me. Stop it, you pizza people. Pizza the hut. He ate himself to death. We are looking at, what, hour and 45 minutes. We are looking at time for the show here for the most part. What else? I mean, I don't know. There's a bunch of you in here. I haven't seen a great number of uh, uh, commentary, though. You seem to just be either listening. You all like, like just hanging out doing what? What? Gardening? It's, two, it's February. You're not gardening. Doing something like that in the house. and Just listening. Monica, what's up? You said, uh, does all this also apply to liturgical churches? liturgical churches who do special music and only sing mushy things from the 60s and 70s? So, like, there's a point at which culture can't be avoided. And, and you're going to be uh, beholden to things that you learned how to hear and sing, right? And so if you learn how to hear and sing mushy, squishy stuff from the 60s and 70s, as opposed to the less mushy stuff from the 60s and 70s, because there's some that's a little harder, um, uh, if that's all you knew, then it's going to be very difficult to let go of that. This is why it's a test. It's a test for whatever music. you're. If it's de hooga. Oh, I just love that I can say that name. If it's Huga that you're going to die for, well, you're dying for a man. You're dying for a man's work. So it shouldn't... It, yes, this applies to all churches that do any kind of music and why. And we have to recognize that, look, we're all going to idolize it a little bit. Because we do. And because the culture's made us snowflakes on the matter where our opinion matters i go in and rather than say this music is beautiful because it's music i judge it with all my history instead this music is beautiful because it's music and i will listen to it for what it is as a gift in the present right now to adorn the mercies of god then it shouldn't matter if it was squishy 60s and 70s music now the problem with a lot of squishy and 60s and 70s music that's from the church in that era that is sung now as special offertories is that it's just really, really bad text too. Like it doesn't really help, right? So that's a different issue. But we should be able to just say for the moment, you know what? And this song's terrible, but he walks with me, he talks with me, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. So there's a generation where that tune is like it's like going to the world's fair, right? It's just it's just the greatest thing ever. Like the 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 song's a problem. But we should, liturgical people, should be able to say the tune itself, there's nothing evil about the tune. It's use, it's connotations, that that can have an impact on us. But yeah, it applies. It applies. I'm not saying go do it, but could it be done? Could those notes be used in the liturgy? Yes, they could be used in the liturgy. But if I think they have to be, if I think it's just not church if we don't sing that song, and then that song's got heresy in it, well, you know. And that's the problem with even liturgical churches and whatever the 60s, 70s music. I think that's really funny stuff, Monica, because that is so like like we haven't bought new church music in 30 years. Right. Like it's still being published, but no one's buying it. Um, Aside from that, liturgical churches are just as. Excuse me, uh, just as uh, committed to dying on the hill of their music rather than the hill of the liturgy itself. And, yeah, it applies. It's, uh... You can worship anything. And when you do, you're not worshiping Jesus. Arsant Angel Fire. I love that. Uh, I sent an email, but to sum it up, should someone take communion at a church not in fellowship with the LCMS if they're still going through instruction? No? Why? Where? How? To what end? I mean... Yeah, no. If you're if you're planning to, to join the communion of the LCMS, why are you communing anywhere that's not in fellowship with the LCMS? And if you're not communing with us, yes, yet, why are you communing anywhere that is in fellowship? You're a, you're a catech- catechumenate. You're, you're pre-confirmation, right? Or you're pre-affirmation of faith, which is just a repeat of confirmation. Um, so, yeah, no. No. Uh, do I need to explain that? Um, either it's not communion at all, a.k.a. the Reformed, sacramentarians um aka the sacramentarians uh or or it is rome in the east which is to be subjected to the pope or to be part of the eastern communion which is just a bunch of hurt unherded cats um that mean well and there's christians there but who knows what you're doing nobody knows what they're doing except them and they don't even know because they don't do dogma and systematics that way so um so where would you go? So, so yeah, no. No, if you're if you're planning a commune at a church, you should prepare to commune at that church and not go somewhere else. And that's just straight up. And, and you know, different bodies are going to have different levels of what that means, but it really should be the case no matter what. So I, I hope that helps. I love your name and picture. Uh, Josh. Joseph. <laughs> my budget pour over coffee was on point this morning. My chill with Fisk was subject to the demands and noise level of my boys. Budget pour over coffee was on point. That's That's good, Joseph. That's good. Uh, demands and noise levels. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Boys, my morons. My personal morons. You have more than one. I only have one personal moron. Uh, He's growing on me. Very, 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 very slowly. Uh-oh. LCMS Christian commune. Look at this. Is it Marxism or what? This is like full-on, um... Oh, Lenin. You're Lenin, aren't you? Back from the dead. Not John. No, no, no. Vladimir. Um, So... <laughs> We're going to start a commune. That's what the comment says. I think you're talking about communion, but I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Brenda says, hi. Hi, Brenda. We're about to end here. Welcome and good morning. And I'm just grabbing whatever comments show up now because we're really at the, the back end. You know what I'm going to do, though? I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to end with a actual reading of the entire book, The Second Wisdom, as it stands right now. And if you didn't, if this doesn't make any sense to you, what we're going to do, um, then you need to go back and listen to my explanation of the second wisdom because it isn't supposed to be read like this, except it is. It's poetry, but this is not This is not what you think it is, okay? So we're going to end with this. Uh, let's see how much I can manage doing multiple things at one time. Uh, or here we go. It's been fun this morning, everybody. <clears throat> there are two wisdoms. Oh, you know what? You know what? I'm going to try it differently here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to do it like this. You just have to listen this time. I'm going to try to deliver it. We'll see if I can. Get it like it's a shot like we planned it. Can I get there? Yeah, I think so. All right. It's been fun this morning, everybody. You ready? Here we go. There are two wisdoms. There is... One knowledge. There's much insight. There is also blindness. You cannot create wisdom. You cannot own knowledge. You cannot farm insight. Vision may only be seen. The first wisdom is secular. The second wisdom is crucial. Knowledge is before is. To see well, but to not do well, is to not do well. To see and to know are neither Synonymous, nor antipodal. Secular wisdom is this get wisdom. Crucial wisdom is this get wisdom. There is also folly. She is what she is. Knowledge is one with the second wisdom. But this may not be seen. It is only known. To do well is the only good. To do well is also meaningless. To not do well is of no good to anyone. This is also meaningless. To see this is the first wisdom, but such sight does not relieve, it heightens frustration. The more one sees, the more frustrated one becomes. A glance does not satiate the eye, a sound does not give the ear its fill, that which can be measured is that which can decay. The wind is seen with the mind, measured and remembered. The cosmos speaks authority, and it is known. Of the infinite void, substance. Of the evidence, conclusions. Doubt is reasonable until it is not. Trust is knowledge of the future. A wise person should listen, and he will hear wisdom. Secular, she labors. Crucial, she sings. There is also folly. She is what she is. Your father labored. He was made to know discipline. Your mother also was taught. Those who came before them knew the first wisdom. They knew it better than we, or I'm a fool. Those who came before have the first wisdom, and you're a fool for not listening. Your mother sang, did she not? What horrific history taught a little girl not to sing? Your mother sang when she was a little girl. She hummed for the second wisdom. That does not mean she had it, only that in her was life. For she had you. Folly thinks not to labor, folly cares not to sing. She despises all disciplines. Folly is not wise. She is what she is. Crucially, the second wisdom is not therein to be known. Knowledge is trust. Trust must be shared. The second wisdom is trustworthy. To see better is the listless hope of the blind. What may not be seen may later be seen. What may not be seen may not be seeable. It is known. Does a river do well to flow? Does an army do well to march? Does a question do well to be asked? It is not the same water in the river. It is not the same river. The river flowed, and that is all that the river ever was. This is meaningless. But that is not the meaning. To do well is only to do good when it is not alone. It is meaningless to the galaxies if a little boy starves. His mother is meaning incarnate. To let a little boy starve is not wise. To starve him yourself is of the devil. It is still meaningless to the galaxies. Andromeda has her own issues. The first wisdom is this. What is not there cannot be counted. Pleasure breeds discontent. Test it. You will see. After it has passed, you may say, what good is it now? At best, vanity. Vilest, malice. Laughter, you say? Madness. Watch, you will see. It is a mask for the pain. It is an opiate for the torture. If it were not funny, we would all lose our minds. The existential terror of the Old One is no laughing matter. One page to go. All wisdom is given. It is not created, nor is it discovered. To attempt to steal it robs only the thief. Where it is, it is always given. Secular wisdom is given, it is common. It is evident. It is both general and relative. Neither is its cause. Its cause is to be given. Crucial wisdom is given. Typo. Crucial wisdom is given. It is rare. It is evidential. It is scandalously peculiar. It is... It's... Possessive. Its cause is thereby highly sacred, that is not common, particular. Folly will know none of it, for she is too busy talking or being talked to. She is what she is. Knowledge is trust. This is logical. But logic is not. Any knowledge you cannot trust is not knowledge, but a lie repeating others lies is not generally called being knowledgeable logic is not logical it cannot be and he logic would be quite happy not being so if only we would let him alone in matters that pertain to his betters like can't see it like trust to say logic is logical is to say a equals b because b equals a is to assume the premise a priori. Green is green does not compute. There's already a fixed digit meant for computing. Logic computes, but not itself. Logic is a trustworthy computer. This is not the same as thinking. Thinking is of three logical, ethical, pathetical. Logical has to do with computing. Ethical has to do with perceiving. Pathetical has to do with suffering. In some worlds, these are called intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. But that is not the role to be played here, as the saying goes, hindsight is always critical. Wink, wink. Knowledge is trust. Trust is that which is known. This nature is shared and sharing. This is the beginning of the second wisdom. There are three dangers— I'm going to move this here. You can't see it, but I'm moving that. All right. Uh, There are three dangers. The unforeseen, the fires, and the snares. The unforeseen cannot be controlled. The essence of fire is pain, but it is your fear that twists the dagger. The snare is only too easy. It is hardest to move along when you do not want to. There are three that make men who they are. Wisdom, madness, and stupidity. Wisdom cannot be done without. Madness is supremely relative. Stupidity cannot be avoided. It is known. But whom shall succeed? Time and chance take them all. The fastest is not always the swiftest. The survivor is not always the strongest. Rare is fair trade for wisdom given. Study, industry, and wealth are not always bedfellows. No one wins because it is a right. Time is chance, and chance comes due, and that is called statistics. Do you look over your shoulder for death every second? Then expect him to surprise you. If the times are evil... Does that make you good or bad? Can a man be other than his times? And do not forget the time ghost. Chronic are his strategies. Therapy is only a means of delay. Trust it not to bring the peace you seek. There is nothing therapeutic about existential terror. five chapters um so uh what do you think weird huh i don't know it made sense to me but i wrote it (laughs) so that's not quite fair but that's um that's a taste of my week um you guys are talking about liturgy over there in the corner unheard of cats with no dogma yeah alfredo uh goodness gracious uh there's a bunch of you give leaving new comments here that i want to make sure we see before we go thank you Georgius, the sophist uh thank you Vicky also um growing and learning Vicky says uh Gorgias says uh uh musical setting liturgy preaching the word and mysteries yeah you you want to differentiate the the musical setting from what the liturgy is or the liturgy is the public service of word and sacrament period um so yeah awesome you guys are leaving good stuff i have to say my super fans the super chats were Sadly, rare today. I got so excited last week. You guys were so friendly. That's okay. Not a big deal. But just so you know, if you do want super chat, if you do want um, comments to show up for sure, that's the way to do it. It doesn't have to be an expensive super chat. I don't know. What's the limit? A buck? Um, so just that's a way to get my attention if you really want a question answered on the show uh, let me go back here and look at my list of notes for when I am here and it's too slow to get there for announcements and things like that uh, without flesh of course it dropped you can see it oof, oof. you can see it there behind me uh, it is orderable on Amazon.com I have not looked at it but if you enjoy it if you're one of those who are loving it give me a review on Amazon let's see if we can beat Echo in terms of Amazon review numbers because uh, Broken still just Way too far up ahead of the game and this one should catch up. It really should. It really can. Echo should as well. It's the best of all three, but it's it's a special kind of book, I think. Um so so anyhow, uh, leave a review, pick it up if you would. Um uh and I need to be looking at a different page so I can remember what I'm supposed to say. I moved it. I know what I did that for. There it goes. Uh, newsletter. I've already talked about that enough. .com. I've talked about that enough. Patreon. So if you're not going to super chat me, would you please sign up to support me on Patreon? This is a way that with every podcast officially that comes out once a week, you will be helping me do what I do by things like this lovely microphone that has a non-squeaky hinge that can move around. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? That was you. You did that. Um, and... oh. Oh, what was it? What was it? Oh, ah, and keep in mind, like you're getting charged for the the, the main podcast when there's a number in front. Oh, one, four, six, just went out finally. We're getting close to that 150 number. Wow, look at that. Um, But there's much more going through the podcast channel. So if you subscribe to the feed in iTunes or Overcast or whatever else you would use, I think you can get it on Stripe now. Uh, if you subscribe to the feed, you're also going to be getting bonuses content. So the SM Chills are going to be bonus audio. Knowing God Class, bonus audio. Sermons, bonus audio. And anything else I can do in the future, bonus audio. So there's lots more there on the podcast than just the actual podcast. But I think you want you want the podcast. That's where the madness really lets loose. That being said, com. you can find it all there as well. Is there anything else? I think that's all of it. Ah, this is a decent answer. It shouldn't be. But in the minds of some, it might. That's what Carl said. has nothing to do with what I said, but it kind of makes sense. Right. All right, I'm going to go have my Saturday. Hey, next week, 8.30. That's our new time for the moment. I'm sorry if it ruins your Saturday morning, but hopefully it doesn't. We will catch you on the other side. Don't wallow in the muck, my friends. Don't wallow in the muck. Rock on.